Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Wild Manifestations podcast. I'm your host. I'm Heather Ione. I am a manifestation teacher and a spiritual life coach. And in this podcast, we talk all about manifestation and the law of attraction, obviously, as well as other universal laws. We also talk about overcoming different limiting beliefs, self-sabotage, feelings of unworthiness, procrastination, all of those icky things (laughs) that hold you back and prevent you from creating the life that you want to create for yourself. We talk about raising your vibration through lifestyle and wellness practices and essential oils, specifically doTERRA essential oils. And we also talk about doing self-discovery work and doing inner work to connect you to your highest self, to connect you to your intuition. And through all of this, the reason why I created this podcast, the reason why I created my business, my coaching practice, all of that is to help you to become a deliberate creator of your life. And I am super excited today to bring you this episode of the podcast that I've been sitting on for some time. It's taken me quite a while to edit it, but I'm so excited to bring you this episode because on today's podcast episode, I am interviewing a very good friend of mine, Sierra. And you guys actually know a little bit about her on uh, one of the episodes that I recorded. It's called, it was like action, attraction, and intuition. It was all about how the law of attraction actually works. I share a story of how the law of attraction works. And I share this story of how I met a friend of mine through my therapist and through meeting her, I was able to manifest all sorts of stuff. I was able to manifest like going to all of these different events that led me to clients. I was able to meet people that I did collaborations with. I was able to start speaking publicly and stuff like that. And it really all stemmed from meeting this one person. But what I didn't tell you in that episode was that that one person is Sierra. And the reason why I didn't say her name is because it would give away that my friend Sierra goes to a therapist and I just didn't want to reach out to her before I recorded the episode and be like, hey, do you mind if I say your name and say that we met through our therapist? So I really just kept that private. And it was kind of awkward because as I was recording that podcast episode, I actually had to record parts several different times because I was trying so hard not to say her name because I care a lot about people's privacy. Even when I'm trying to share examples and stories, I don't want to share specific details about people. And I told Sierra that the day that she came over to my house to be interviewed for this podcast. And she's like, dude, you know, I don't care. And I was like, yeah, I know. I just got up in my head about it. Like, I know you don't care, but maybe someone else would have. And she's like, you know me. I'm an open book. I always talk about mental health and therapy and this and that. So she was totally okay with it. And then she actually mentioned that on this podcast episode too. She's like, you and I met through our therapist. And it was just such a funny coincidence of how we met. But anyways, I'm having Sierra on today because she was one She was one of the people. It was her and my friend Jennifer. When I knew I was going to be having this podcast, I absolutely knew 
that I had to interview them. I absolutely knew that I had to interview Sierra because she does such powerful work. She is so passionate about mindfulness, about healing, about inner child work, about helping people pleasers, about boundary setting, about raising children consciously. I'm literally getting goosebumps as I'm talking about this. But I firmly believe that she is a light worker. She's a healer. She was brought to this earth to do this kind of work. And and today I have her on to talk about all of those things that I just mentioned, to talk about mindfulness and how you can actually start practicing mindfulness in your daily life. We talk a lot about inner child work, inner healing. We talk about boundary setting and why that is important, all sorts of stuff. This is a super juicy episode, so I am so excited to bring this episode to you. I think we talked for about two and a half hours. We just literally could not stop talking to each other. That's how we always are. And I've seen Sierra quite a few times since I've actually recorded this podcast episode. I feel like we've hung out like four times since I recorded this. And one time we went out with uh, my boyfriend, Matt, and we talked nonstop for hours and hours. And finally, it was like midnight and the people at the bar were being super obvious that they wanted us to leave. We were the last people there. And uh, Matt was like, all right, we have to go now, girls. And then we dropped Sierra off at her car and Matt was like, oh my gosh, you two literally will never stop talking. He's like, I don't get it. You just, you have so much to say and you get so into it and you're so deep and like, you're literally performing therapy on each other. He's like, I mean, you two will just talk forever. He's like, I didn't want to be rude, but like, we have to go. So that's kind of how Sierra and I are when we get together, and you'll definitely see that in today's episode. So anyways, I'm so excited to bring today's interview to you. This is going to be, I feel like, really healing, really therapeutic, really informative, and really give people a lot of insights about themselves and about mindfulness that you didn't know of before, and they they might help you to raise your vibration. They might help you to get more in touch with yourself, to connect to your highest self. And through getting quiet, through practicing mindfulness, through establishing those boundaries and everything that we talk about on today's episode, that's how you really get in touch with your highest self. That's how you can really merge with your highest self and start living from a place where you're guided from your intuition. You're not distracted by everything going on around you. You're not distracted by the noise. And through that, you can really create the life that you want for yourself, a life that makes you happy, a life that makes makes you feel lit up, a life where you're manifesting everything that you want rather than living from this place of just doing and just consuming content and just trying to make other people happy all the time. So I really think that the messages that we talk about, the conversation that we have in this interview is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. So anyways, thank you so much for pressing play today. Thank you so much for joining me and let's get into today's podcast.
Welcome, Sierra, to the Wild Manifestations podcast. Thank I'm so you. happy to have you today. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Back before I even had a podcast, I was actually like brainstorming all my different episode ideas mm -hmm. and thinking about like, who would I have on if I was going to interview somebody? And I only thought of a couple people, but you were one of the very first people that came to mind because oh, yeah. obviously like you're so passionate about mindfulness yeah. and healing and meditation. And I just think like your message is perfect for this audience too. So mm. I'm so excited that you're here today. Yay. I'm excited to be here and I'm really excited to, I am like, I am really excited to share about mindfulness and spread mm -hmm. this message. I feel like a lot of people are very disconnected from self and I think mm -hmm. it's really important for the manifestation process to be able to connect back to yourself to ground in so that you're able to manifest right so right I'm yeah I'm excited to yeah. have this conversation that makes sense so the first question that I want to ask you because obviously this is mainly a manifestation podcast mm -hmm. and helping people to become a deliberate creator of their life so the mm -hmm. first question that I always ask is what is the most wild thing that you have ever manifested? Mm, so um, I have a blog uh, post with you, actually a blog interview. And mm -hmm. I think I I said in there what one of my manifestations was, but this was a little bit further back. So manifestation is a newer process for me. Uh, a lot of my focus has been in mindfulness. So I haven't focused a lot on intentional manifestation, but recently a lot of my manifestation has been relationships. And that's true in every capacity, like romantic and friendships, building more authentic connections mm -hmm. has been manifested in my life because of intentional creation. Mm -hmm. uh, so it isn't any one specific relationship because my life has flourished, has been so abundant in relationships mm -hmm. the past year, but it's been deliberate manifestation because it's been something that I wanted and something that I've really been pursuing. Right, right. So, and I can really resonate with that because yeah. you were one of the people that I manifested. <laughs> yeah. We were brought into each other's lives. Yes, yes. And yeah. through meeting you, I was able to cultivate all mm. of those like meaningful relationships yeah. too. And I just feel so much better now and so different now that I have yeah. those relationships in my life because beforehand, I just had so many people that just weren't like-minded or they weren't mm -hmm. supportive, you know, and it's really hard to just be your authentic self when it seems like you have no one who's really on your side. So yeah. I think that manifesting those relationships is just as important as like manifesting the money yeah. and the house yeah. and, you know, the clothes or whatever it may be. Yeah. Manifestation, I think a lot of people associate it with the materialistic world, like right. the physical world, which it can be. I am not a very materialistic person. I'm mm -hmm. very much a minimalist and I like simple living, simple things. I do not have a big closet. I used to. I used to mm -hmm. be like crazy, like buying clothes. And then as I got older, it just wasn't as important to me. Mm -hmm. And what I realized, because I was like, man, why am I not manifesting like a car and a house and like <laughs> all of this <laughs> crazy stuff? And it's because like it wasn't truly that important to me. Like yeah. it's important to me to have security and like be confident in where I'm grounded at mm -hmm. physically but manifestation for me is joy like being able to have love and happiness and, and joy ultimately just joy in my life and to me that is the biggest thing is relationships and right. connection and a lot of people go through their whole lives without like having that connection with anyone right yeah. so 
that's why like that is like a wild quote unquote wild manifestation for me mm-hmm. because it's brought me so much joy and so much happiness mm-hmm. even though I'm not driving like a Maserati <laughs> and a mansion which isn't even what I want but yeah a lot of people who might be listening to this think or want think that they want crazy physical manifestations right. which that might be something that they're wanting and they can ultimately get that but sometimes it goes deeper mm-hmm. or they're wanting genuine connection with people to feel genuine joy and happiness right yeah I love that you say that because you can also manifest the essence of what you want in your yeah. life you can manifest the joy and the happiness mm-hmm. and the abundance and the overflow but it doesn't have to look like checks. Yeah. It doesn't have to look like diamonds. You know, it doesn't have to look like a mansion. You know, it could just be like those fulfilling relationships and stuff like that. So I love that you shared that. That was Mm. so meaningful. See, (laughs) this is why I had you on the podcast. (laughs) That was so thoughtful. I love that. Yeah. I actually, fun fact, I used to have a lot of resistance manifestation because of the association for me. I was like, okay, the materialistic is great, but like, I want something more. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm getting, I I'm, I'm being met in the ways of the material world, but there's still something that's missing. Mm-hmm. And I, I want the joy. Like I want to feel alive and feeling alive is being able to like feel really authentically me mm-hmm. and to feel really authentically me. I have to be transparent. I have to be vulnerable and I have to get real with people. So it's like, being able to manifest ultimately for myself was working through my own personal barriers mm-hmm. in order to feel confident enough to bring in the people that to bring in the joy and the happiness that I wanted out of life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I coach people too, is because you have yeah. to work through those barriers. You know, it's mm-hmm. not always about the vision board. It's about the limiting yeah. beliefs and yeah. the self-sabotaging behaviors and yeah. like all of those things that are holding you back. So yeah. I love that you shared that. So I had like gotten to that point actually where like I had manifested everything that I wanted Mm. in the physical world. Mm -hmm. Like I manifested, you know, my boyfriend and our house and the move to Florida and Mm. like modeling gigs and travel and checks and all this kind of stuff. So on the outside, I had everything that I dreamed of. I was driving around in my dream car, but I was unfulfilled and I was unsatisfied and unhappy. And in the last couple of years, I've really been like shifting and it's not Mm -hmm. about the physical manifestations to me anymore. It's about creating an impact and making a difference and calling in the energy of what I want, even if it's not a physical thing, you know, Mm -hmm. even if it's not a handbag or a car or something like that. Yeah. There's like, this is so common with humans. It's like human nature. Mm -hmm. And if you're going deeper into spirituality, which Commonly, you're going deeper into spirituality when you're trying to learn how to manifest and things like that. But as you're going through it, you realize like you're trying to fill some type of void. Right. And I feel like if you're getting into manifestation before you do any inner work, like you're trying to fill the void on the materialistic physical realm. Mm-hmm. And then you get those things and you're like, okay, this is great. Like I've got, I've got mm-hmm. the life that I imagine, like everything on my vision board is true. Right. I've manifested all that I I want, but there's still something missing. Like this Mm -hmm. void is still here. And like, you have to go deep into the void. (laughs) You have to dive into the void in order to like, to feel whole because you're not like, I like to stress this with the people that I work with in my workshops and one-on-one, but like, you are not broken. Humans are not Mm -hmm. broken. It feels like something is missing because there's something in your life that is out of alignment. And that can be within a relationship that can be within yourself. That's like 
often it's like the relationship that we have to self you're feeling like something's missing because there's not a deep connection Mm -hmm. you don't truly understand yourself you don't truly love yourself you are not truly respecting yourself so there's this void that you're trying to fill with other stuff and it doesn't work and then you're like okay what the fuck is the point of manifestation it's not gonna bring me happiness (laughs) and yeah so you you just really you have to dive into the void yeah yeah that makes sense and it's so Mm -hmm. true so how did you manifest those relationships like you were talking about what did that process look like for you so it was well it it first started out with awareness deciding Mm -hmm. like what I wanted like what exactly it was that I was looking for because I am naturally well not naturally I usually fall into codependent relationships because of my upbringing and that's just the pattern that I have we all have some type of pattern with the relationship that we had with our parents so our inner child is seeking validation in the way that they knew how so mine was codependency And coming out of codependent relationships, I realized like I wanted more fulfilling relationships that weren't from a place of attachment where I felt like I was trying to fill a void. So ultimately this led me to deeper friendships because I didn't realize then, I didn't realize that this was exactly what I was looking for, but I wanted platonic relationships where I feel like I could connect with people Mm -hmm. and they could see me fully as I am and accept me and love me and vice versa I could see them fully as I am and love them and accept them so in order to do that I had to look at my codependent patterns and be real with myself like this is how it was and this is not how I want it to be and then decide what I wanted to do to change that Hmm. and that was having to choose differently I had to choose a different path I couldn't keep repeating the same patterns otherwise I was going to be fucking unhappy for the rest of my life right yeah so my path to these relationships has not been linear all of them has shown up in all of my deep connections have shown up in super unexpected ways like my relationship with you was like (laughs) through our therapist (laughs) so and like she connected us she was our middleman I couldn't have expected that so like manifestation it wasn't like I was like, okay, I want this. And it like pops up. I go on Facebook and I like find my friend. Uh It like, it shows up when it's ready to come to us, when we're fully ready to have that in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I don't think like, if you're having some resistance to manifestation right now, it's because you're not ready to receive it yet. You know, like if you're wanting 10 grand and you've only ever had $5 in your bank account, how the fuck are you going to know how to manage $10,000? Right. You know, so Sometimes you have to go to the background, like figure out how to manage money and manage financials before they're ready to place that 10 grand in your lap. Before Mm -hmm. the universe is like, all right, you've got this. Like you are fully capable of handling this and I trust you. So here Mm -hmm. is this. Yes. That's how it was with relationships and friendships for me. So as time went by, I like new friendships would pop up in my life and they would be a part of my life in, in different ways. Like all of the friendships and connections that I have in my life now are totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like, they offer different things. And I think that's what, that's what relationships are. Like they are not all here to serve the same purpose. So the relationships that have shown up in my life have all been unexpected, but so perfect yeah. for like what I've needed right. in my life. 
Oh my gosh. I love that. You just shared all of that mm-hmm. one, because you talked about like the action too. Mm-hmm. And I do want to hit on the fact that manifestation is not just sitting on your ass and looking yeah. at a vision board. Like you do have to take aligned action, yeah. but you also talked about divine timing yeah. and trusting the universe and how those things happen in unexpected mm-hmm. ways, which are things that like, I all, I always talk about those things on the podcast, but I think it's important to hear that from someone else too. Mm-hmm. and to hear a real life example of that from someone else. Yeah. So that was beautiful. I yeah. love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Like we, we want so much. We're human beings. And I don't remember who said this. I was listening to some podcast on manifestation. Maybe it was an article, but oh no, you know what? It was a book. It was the money book that I think we read. Creating in money and attracting abundance. Yeah. yeah. And in that book, they talked about how we want a lot of different things like humans desire so much mm-hmm. but if we received everything that we desired like it would be fucking crazy like if you thought about like oh it'd be really cool to have an elephant and then an elephant magically appeared yeah. like you'd be like okay maybe I didn't want this as much <laughs> as I did now there's an elephant in my living room so uh, then you like you really get clear with what you're actually wanting yeah and that's been my process it's like I thought that I wanted a relationship like a romantic and sexual relationship where I could fully connect and, and be with one person and they could see mm-hmm. me fully But what that's actually looked like is I just want to be seen by people, like really Mm -hmm. fully seen in my fullest capacity. And that has not looked like one specific relationship. It's been multiple different relationships and they all see me and connect with me in different ways. Right. Yeah. So sometimes we don't get the elephant because we're not meant to have the elephant. Right. We're meant to have something else that will give you that same feeling. Yeah. And I love that too, because I think we tend to put like all of our eggs in one basket Mm -hmm. and we think this one human being has to be everything for us, right? Which is so not true and so unfair to that other person. They can't fulfill all of your earthly needs (laughs) and emotional needs and like all of that. Like it's just not possible Mm. even if you do find your soulmate you're still going to want to have a best friend right you're still going to want those other relationships and Mm. I think it's important to like stress on the fact that things aren't going to always come to you in the way that you're expecting but you just have to surrender and trust that Mm. those relationships and those needs are going to be met through different avenues and that's like the process of manifestation you know like if you knew how it was going to work then you wouldn't really have to do it in the first place, right? Yeah, it wouldn't be a practice. And that's exactly what it is. Like it's practice. And my biggest lesson with manifestation was learning how to trust myself and Mm -hmm. surrender to the universe. Mm -hmm. Because my biggest resistance was that I didn't have it all figured out. And it was really annoying because I'm like, okay, I know what I want. Just give me what I want because (laughs) then my life will be so much easier But that's not the point of life. The point of our life is to be able to learn these lessons and to grow from them. And I believe in soul reincarnation. So like we all have our different lessons that we have to learn in life. Mm -hmm. And some of them are going to be similar to the person next to you, but you have to go through it and you have to experience those hardships in order to get to the next step, in order to get to the next level. Right, yeah. Like, you're not going to start out at at 14 years old and meet the love of your life and, like, be completely content and happy. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, some people might, but (laughs) that hasn't been my experience. (laughs) Uh, But it it does, it takes work. And sometimes you go through shitty relationships 
to recognize when you have a good thing. Yes. So uh-huh. I'm can... so glad for my shitty relationship yeah. because I would not, I think I talked about this too in the podcast. I was like, thank God the universe <laughs> didn't bring me Matt when I was yeah. 18 years old because I was not emotionally mm. or just mentally mature enough mm. to have that relationship and even appreciate it, yeah. you know? Yeah, I was just having a conversation with a friend about this. We were we were talking about more of the sexual realm mm-hmm. of relationships where some people need, I argue all people should have some type of experimental period with their sexuality so that they know the difference between genuine connection right. and physical connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people are just seeking validation through sex and through physical connection that they don't have that genuine connection because they never experimented and they never saw the difference. Yeah. So they don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. So yeah. Well, luckily really it only takes like one experience. Yeah, so hopefully <laughs> some people have to do like five or six experiences yeah, yeah. and like not like they won't, like it doesn't click. Yeah. And I actually, I, I posted something on Instagram about this earlier and I said like sometimes it takes longer for some people to learn a lesson because yeah. you need more tutoring. Like the universe is tutoring your ass yeah. because you just need more time to learn things. Yeah. It's and like in fine tuning so you can yeah, grow. Yeah. yeah. I, in high school, I took pre-calc mm-hmm. and I was pretty great in algebra. Like I fucking loved algebra, mm-hmm. but pre-calc for me was such a hard class. It just did not click the way it did with algebra. Mm-hmm. So for other students in the class, like they got it right away. Like after a couple problems, like they were good. They got mm-hmm. it. They understood it. But for me, even though I was doing the same process, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. So I had to go after class to get more help, to Mm -hmm. repeat the same problems, to do it over and over and over again until it finally made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's what it takes for some people's lessons. Mm -hmm. I believe that we have experienced specific lessons in past lifetimes that they're easier to overcome in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's their first time experiencing that lesson. So they have to go through it a little bit deeper than someone else that it had experienced it before. Right. And it's interesting how some people, you know, like I'm thinking of one person in particular who has been learning the same lesson for like 70 years, yeah. you know, and they still haven't figured <laughs> it out. So sometimes yeah. maybe your whole life is devoted to that yeah. one lesson, doing a lot of fine tuning there yeah. with the universe. Yeah. Sometimes we hit like a ceiling where, yeah. where we're like, okay, this is this is where our capacity for, for learning is. Yeah. I haven't hit that yet, but maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that I always... I'm always learning. I'm devoting my life to being, to being a student as well as being a teacher. Yeah. But I love some that. people, I don't think you and I are ever going to stop learning. Like yeah. we're so obsessed with books yeah. Like, yeah. and podcasts and yeah. programs. Like it's in our blood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, there's so much to just the 3d realm that mm-hmm. we have to learn. Yeah. And then when you go beyond that into the oh my spiritual gosh. world, never your mind is like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been going there a little bit yeah. and oh my God, it's hard to grasp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like trying to navigate relationships on top of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I have this energy right now. Right. That's a lot going on. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, first and foremost today, you're here to talk about mindfulness mm. because you are the mindfulness expert. I feel mm. like you are an expert in mindfulness in the same way that like I'm an expert in manifestation. Yeah. Like mindfulness is just your jam. So mm. can you tell us a little bit about the kind of work that you do around mindfulness? Yeah. So mindfulness for me is being able to be intentional and grounded in your life. 
The work that I do specifically with people, I do a lot of workshops, a lot of classes to teach what mindfulness is to people because a lot of people function their life on autopilot and mindfulness is taking yourself out of autopilot and really being in the moment and living. So the work that I do is one-on-one work. I do healing circles and workshops and classes, but a lot of the work is at an individual level. So I just walk people through their own their own work. I'm just a guide. I'm just a, a facilitator. I can't do the work for you. So I teach people how to do the mindfulness practices in their life. So I do a lot of inner child work in order to connect people back to themselves. I like to say that I am guiding you back to yourself because this isn't about me being the teacher and you listening and you following me like a sheep. Like you are your own individual person and you get to live your life very intentionally in order to live it in its fullest capacity. And in order to do that, you have to have mindfulness and awareness around how you are living, how you are behaving and how you are thinking. Mm -hmm. So inner child work is my main focus because I like to connect people back to that insecure small child that has has all of these patterns and conditioning that they have put in place to protect themselves. And a lot of the times that is their autopilot and they function from the point of view of their inner child. Mm -hmm. So I do inner child visualizations and meditations to help people connect back to themselves. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. Mm. The other question that I wanted to ask you too is, so I see all of these transformation pictures of you on Instagram, (laughs) right? (laughs) With the blue hair and the pink hair and the green hair (laughs) and the yellow hair (laughs) and the piercings and all that kind of the pixie haircut and that kind of stuff. And it's very clear that you were not always the mindfulness expert and Mm, guru, right? I feel like there's a story there. So yeah. how did you how did you go from the girl with the blue hair and the piercings, smoking cigarettes, feeling lost? <laughs> like how did all of this come about to you being a mindfulness teacher now? Mm, I do not trust people who teach something that they have not experienced firsthand. <laughs> so the reason I teach mindfulness is because I came from a place of autopilot. I function from a place of habit, a place of conditioning, a place of pattern, and I was never intentional with myself. I was never intentional with my body. I was not intentional with my mind, with my behaviors, with my action. That is not excusing any of my past experiences, but it's as if you're walking around as a zombie. Like you, when you come into this mindfulness awakening, you it feels like you are awoken, like someone woke you up, like someone shook you by the shoulders and you're like, wake the fuck up. (laughs) This is not how you need to live. And all of those, that experimental phase, I was, it started when I was about 15. So in high school, I was a straight A student. I was a cheerleader. I was like the typical homegrown (laughs) cheerleader. And it did not feel right. Like I knew that something was off. I knew that I wasn't living authentically. I knew that I wasn't living as me. I was a huge fucking people pleaser. And that's why I do a lot of work with people pleasers now because I was a big ass people pleaser. And doing that, it looked a lot of different ways. 
I was a people pleaser, so I did cheerleading to please my friends because mm. they were also cheerleaders. And I wanted to be around them. I wanted to impress them. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be cool, all mm. that high school bullshit. Right. And so I conformed. And then my sophomore year, I had something within me. I wasn't a mindfulness guru by any means, but there was a moment in high school where I just knew like this wasn't it like being in a clique it didn't make sense like this isn't natural so I went through a rebellious period Mm -hmm. (laughs) where I said fuck this and fuck that and I went against all of the norms that Mm -hmm. most people go through in high school so I shaved my head I colored my hair I started smoking cigarettes at 15 Uh, that was more as a, a coping mechanism for like social anxiety that I had that stemmed from school and I just I said fuck it and did my own thing and I don't regret doing my own thing because like we were talking about earlier like having that experience allowed me to be like get to where I'm at now and to see like what my life living in full transparency looks like Mm -hmm. but I took it a little overboard (laughs) and I just I I did everything and it took it to a place of unhealthy coping. Mm -hmm. So this was up until I was about 18 that I continued on that pattern and that path. And this is not to say like, I highly encourage people to shave their heads. I think it is a, an amazing moment of freedom that most people don't experience. Sometimes I fantasize about shaving my head. I am an advocate for you (laughs) shaving your head. So if you're looking for someone to encourage you against it, I'm not your girl. (laughs) Um, So I I honestly shave your head once. If there's any piece of evidence or advice that you get from this episode, shave your head at least once in your life. Watch someone like tag us in a photo. (laughs) I would love that. That would make me so happy. Hair grows back, dude. Like it is not... It's an attachment to the materialistic, like, that I don't understand. People are so attached. I do understand it because it's a a source of confidence. Like, our hair can make us feel so much more confident. But when you lose that, that materialistic part of yourself, that physical part of yourself, it feels very freeing because, like, you're like, oh, my God, without my hair, who am I? Yeah. And then it gives you, it gives you a new perspective that a lot of people don't get to experience. And that's why I'm very thankful for this like rebellious period mm-hmm. <laughs> in my teen years because I didn't take that one. I didn't take that into adulthood. I was mm-hmm. able to go through that period and like kind of get a foundation of who I was. But it did it did have its impacts. It did have times where I chose things that I probably shouldn't have chosen. I went down the wrong path. I did the wrong drugs. Like mm-hmm. I was not on the right track. But thankfully, I came out of it. It wasn't a repeating pattern into my adulthood. And I actually came into mindfulness through reading a book called The New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. And that, amongst other things, but that was the pivotal point in my mindfulness practice. Because reading his book, I started to understand that there was something deeper to me that went beyond the physical and even went beyond my mental thinking, Mm. which was where I identified myself what was going on in my head and for a long time I'm like holy shit dude like I am fucked up (laughs) because our head can be Uh a weird 
place. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. we don't, I don't think anybody is fully transparent about every single thing that goes into your head. No, I don't think we'd want them to be. No, no, of course not, because it's crazy. Like, our minds are insane. Yeah. And it's a, it's a cool aspect of being human. Like, it's kind of cool, like, what we're capable of, of having, but it's also, it can be a scary place. So after reading A New Earth, I was like, oh my god, like, I am so much deeper than this thinking. There's something beyond this of which I am. And that, like, it propelled me forward. Mm -hmm. So then I started getting into meditation and trying to connect with what was beyond that mental thinking, what was beyond my anxiety, what was beyond my emotions and my fears and beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I built a really strong foundation in that. And mindfulness isn't just about the meditation. I highly encourage meditation. Meditation is a tool for mindfulness that can help propel you forward in your mindfulness practice because you like you have to sit there with yourself. And that is a huge tool in teaching and understanding. But mindfulness is really just about being intentional with your actions, with your words, with your beliefs. And mindfulness led me to yoga and learning more about my body and how I moved. And that's eventually how I quit smoking cigarettes. Because after I started connecting more with my body and feeling my body, I had a new love for my body and I didn't want to fill it with cigarettes and like kill it. I was Mm -hmm. slowly killing my body. And when you start to love yourself more, you aren't going to do things that go against your health whether that's mental health, emotional health, or physical health. And it's not like overnight you quit drinking, you quit smoking, you quit fast food, you quit unhealthy relationships. It's a practice. It's going to take time, but eventually the layers will be peeled off. So I I stopped smoking cigarettes. I started getting more physically in check. I started doing yoga and exercising and working out, which I was super against in the past. I stopped eating out as much. I didn't eat as much fast food. I still eat fast food now, so I'm not a perfect human. But I do too. I love fast yeah, food. Yeah, like I, it's my guilty pleasure. Like Taco mm-hmm. Bell is my jam. But I'm slowly, like even now, alcohol and fast food, there's resistance to it. There's more resistance than there used to be in the past because I've had a deeper practice in the past six months with meditation and mindfulness. So as you go deeper spiritually and within mindfulness, it's just naturally a part of the process where you start cutting out things that just don't feel in alignment anymore and it's going to look different for everyone and it's not going to look like this perfect process where you just cut out everything and then eventually you're like this perfect human (laughs) like reads raw greens all day yeah exactly but it does it it helps you feel better physically emotionally and mentally yeah I love that you share that story because I feel like when people think of like mindfulness and meditation, they just think of like bright, airy photos that you Mm. see on Instagram and like some girl on the beach and she just looks beautiful and blissed out. And Mm. that's why like, I mean, it's so interesting. Like back when I was in high school, like I would have rolled my eyes at the person Mm -hmm. I am now probably, you know, like I... I preach about and I speak about things that I once thought were bullshit, you know, Mm -hmm. like essential oils and stuff like that. I never believed in any of that, you know, and it was really hard for me to, I guess, fully trust those kinds of people because it was like their life just looks so perfect. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I thought that 
like their life was so perfect. So that's why they were able to meditate. Mm -hmm. And that's why they were able to practice mindfulness. But I love that you have a story, you know, Mm -hmm. and you have a background and like, you went through it, you know, like you were a perfect example of how like, your life wasn't just perfect. So you were able to find the time to meditate, like you worked your way there, and Mm. you went through it yourself. And Mm. it was rough. Yeah, (laughs) but you got here to where you are now. And I just think it's so inspiring. Mm. And it's so cool to go on your Instagram, because you're always doing those (laughs) throwback photos. And it's crazy to see just how much you've grown and how much Mm. you've changed and how that entire experience led you to like your biggest passion and helping people and uplifting humanity. So I'm so thankful that you went Mm -hmm. through those experiences because now you're going to help so many people Mm -hmm. and so many girls who are stuck in it right now. Thank you. Yeah, that feels really, really good to hear because it is, it's a process, especially in the beginning of any practice, manifestation, mindfulness. It's hard. It's hard in the beginning because you are, you're reconditioning yourself. You're so used to nonstop thinking. So when you get into some type of mindfulness or meditation practice, you're taking yourself out of a habit. And it's like an addiction. Our thinking is an addiction. Yeah. And it's usually a very unconscious addiction that people don't even know that they have. Right. So taking yourself out of that in the beginning process, like sometimes even like the first full year, mm-hmm. it's some deep shit. Yeah. You have to look at the thoughts that come up. You have a lot of shame that comes up. When I remember when I was meditating, anytime that I had a thought appear, I was like, fuck you, dude. Like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, this is the purpose of the practice. I'm not supposed to have you. Mm-hmm. But what you learn is not to judge those thoughts. Like, you're going to have thoughts. It's a part of being human and it's great it's an awesome experience that we get to have it's the reason why we get to have creativity it's the reason we have art it's the reason we have authors and poetry and photographers and business thought stems from all of these different ideas or ideas stem from all all of these different thoughts but there's the opposite on end of that spectrum where we have anxiety and fear and depression and all of these different things, all of these mental instabilities because of this addiction to thought. My social anxiety stemmed from my addiction to thought. I was constantly thinking about what other people were thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, it wasn't my responsibility to like understand what they were thinking or even care at mm-hmm. that point. But yet I could not stop. Right. So in the beginning of my process, there was constant judgment of self. So if you're in the beginning of any type of practice, give yourself some grace because it is really hard in the beginning of any type of habit you're breaking, especially when it comes to your own mental thinking, because it's not just habit that you've had for a few years. You've had this since you could walk. Right. So it is arguably the hardest habit to break. But once you get to a point where you have more compassion for yourself it gets a lot easier. The process gets a lot easier. I don't have to sit for 20 minutes with myself to try and just break through the barrier of fidgeting and being uncomfortable. And there are days still that I will come into meditation where I just cannot get into a calm and peaceful state. Right. And it's because that's just not where I was at. Like I needed to work through some type of emotion that day or some type of feeling and be with myself in that moment. 
I didn't have to be sent out. a point where it's like, oh, I'm so perfect yeah. now. I just automatically go into meditation and it's fine. <laughs> and that's what people like, they think they, when they think about meditation, they think about like Buddhist monks yeah. where they're just like sitting and they think that they're in peace. You have no idea what's going on in those people's minds. Like, yeah. Some yeah. of those monks are struggling with the same demons that you're struggling with, but they are doing, they're practicing in a different way where they're not going to vocalize it to you. Right. They are internally battling with it. Mm-hmm. And what I think is beautiful is that we have this community, whether it be your community or my community or anybody listening or anyone outside of this, where we get to have someone to talk to about it right? and be reassured and validated that it's real, like what you're Mm -hmm. experiencing is real Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't have that. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. If you can go back to that like version of yourself right now, because maybe there's like girls listening where that's where they are right now. Mm. What advice would you give to them or what advice would you give to your past self? Mm. There's a lot of advice (laughs) to myself. Ultimately, I think that we go through the things that we need to learn. So I would definitely tell myself to trust myself more. Mm hmm. And I would, I would tell that to anyone experiencing something similar to trust yourself because within those moments of rebellion, I was experimenting and I was finding what was true for me, but there were moments where my body and my intuition was saying no. And yet I followed the path anyways, I could have learned my lesson a lot sooner if I had listened to my body, but I didn't. So then it took months or years to learn that lesson within a relationship, within myself, within habits. Mm -hmm. So listening to your body, listening to your intuition is so important and it's going to be better than pretty much any advice that you will get from anyone and listen to advice and wisdom with discernment Mm -hmm. because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to give you advice. But some of those people, one, either haven't experienced that situation firsthand, so they have no fucking idea what they're talking about. Right. Or they are biased where they're trying to project their life onto you because Mm -hmm. they didn't fulfill themselves in the way that they wanted to. Right. So that's why a lot of people end up as doctors and lawyers because Mm -hmm. their parents, like, are trying to project what they wanted to pursue, but they never did. Yeah. And they, like, push it on their children. Yeah. And if your body is telling you not to become a fucking lawyer, I didn't want to be a fucking lawyer. Yeah. I was like, I was an advocate or my parents were an advocate for me to become a lawyer, like most parents. But I like that did not sit with me. I did not want that. And I knew that at a very early age. So luckily for me, that was a part of my journey that I listened to. But a lot of people do not listen to that body. And then they'll be 40 years old. And they're like, okay, this is not what I want for my life. And they'll have to start from scratch. Right. And that's okay if that's where you're at. Finally learn the lesson. Yeah. 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 Because you're going to learn it whether or not, (laughs) whether it takes 10 (laughs) years or 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to learn the lesson. But the earlier you learn it, the less pain and misery you're going to go through. Yeah. Absolutely. Are there any like tools that you would recommend to help you like through this point? Like any sort of books or practices Mm -hmm. or something that might have helped you? Mm, I mean, a new earth is huge. I think that having having an idea of something that's deeper than the mental conditioning is super important for humanity as a whole, for consciousness. But learning how to listen to your intuition is a hard process. Mm-hmm. But it's like a gut instinct and it's different for everyone. So learning how to know what is a yes 
and a no in your body is really important. For me, a yes is no question. Like there are not any questions that run through my mind or any doubt. It's a hell yes. It's a hell fucking yes. Mm -hmm. And honestly, those situations are few and far between for me. But when they're in front of me, I know they're in front of me. I have so much more, and this applies to everyone, you're going to have way more no's than yeses. And that should be the case. You should have so many more no's than yeses in your life because you're going to have a lot of things where you're going to have to choose. Your entire life is built up of choices. Mm -hmm. And you either say yes to them or you say no to them. Saying no is a lot harder and a lot of people have to learn the hard way how to say no. Mm -hmm. But when you start to know and understand and trust your body when it's saying yes or no it becomes a lot easier to make the choice and to Mm -hmm. vocalize that Mm -hmm. so start small start with something where you're like choosing where to walk in the morning if you're taking a left or right that's where I started and I started that way too yeah and your body is going to it's it's the first thing that comes to mind If you're very analytical and logical like me, because I am a Virgo sun sign, (laughs) you're going to question it. Like my mind was like, go right. And I'm like, why? Like what's right? I'm going to go left and then I'll go left. And then there's like a fucking giant puddle. You know, I always did that. It's so interesting that you say that because for me it was driving. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't trust myself at all. So I would tell myself, I think I'm supposed to go right. But I was so programmed by like my parents and society like my mom always told me I was a stupid teenager growing Mm. up so I was like really told like you're an idiot Mm. you can't trust yourself you don't know what you're doing so whenever I was driving if I felt like going right and I thought I was supposed to go right I would go left yeah and I've been doing this for like the entire time I've been driving you know and it wasn't until like this year that I was like why do I keep doing that because I would always end up going the wrong direction you know And I would always get in circles and have to turn around and be late. And I was like, I knew the way Mm. and I just didn't listen to myself, you know? Mm. So for me, it just started by like taking a fucking right turn in my car. Like it was nothing that big, you know? And then the more I did that, I learned to trust my intuition with like bigger things too, you know, like signing up for the program, hiring Mm. the coach, starting the business, you know? Mm. But you have to get to a certain point of trust in yourself before you can make those big decisions. Yeah, I like, I want to just make note of this because what you said really hit home. Like, you know the way, you Mm -hmm. just have to trust yourself. Yeah. And we are taught from such a young age, like teenagers or younger, that we do not deserve to trust ourselves because we're stupid, because we're dumb, because we're naive. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, we can be naive and young when we're young, but you're going to, ch- when you're choosing and trusting yourself, the mistakes you make are from yourself yeah, and they're not from other people. So like the lesson is going to be way more impactful. Mm-hmm. So if you're not trusting yourself when you're driving and you make a right, when like your instinct was telling you to make a left, you're going to be like, okay, that was a big lesson. Like mm-hmm. I should really trust myself more. As opposed to like someone else in the car where they're telling you what to do. Yeah. I feel like it's less of an impact because learning to trust yourself is the most important thing mm-hmm. in your life right. in order to start following your truest path. Right. Ooh, that was a good quote there. <laughs> <laughs> Instapose. <laughs> so now as someone who talks about mindfulness and teaches other people about it, I'm sure your mindfulness practice 
probably looks a little bit different now that you're in your 20s than it did when you were 15, 18, something like that. So what do you do now as far as your mindfulness practice? Yeah, so my mindfulness practice is my entire life. (laughs) My mindfulness practice is my entire life now. It started out being more intentional with my actions throughout the day. So if I were washing dishes or if I were doing laundry or if I were interacting with a person, I would be very intentional with how I was moving. So I would really be focused on how I was moving, how fast I was moving and taking in all of the sensory moments of that action. And now I try to live my life in the same way. With practice, it comes more naturally. There's less focus to it. So there's more of a grounded presence in my energy now. I'm not up in my head all of the time and I'm not anxious and I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say next. I'm in this moment. There are times where I'm still brought out of it and I'm feeling a little bit more anxious than usual and I'll have to do more of a focused, uh, more of a focused practice, whether that be a meditation or just being very intentional with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But now it's a grounded energy in the way that I live. So starting out, it starts out small. It starts out doing the dishes and feeling what it feels like to feel the water on your skin and doing it slow and intentionally without veering off course, without Mm. thinking about the future, without thinking about the past and coming into that present moment, coming Mm -hmm. into washing dishes fully and being fully present in that moment. And then that starts amplifying throughout your life. So now I'm still nannying children and that's the biggest mindfulness practice. Like if you're a parent or if you work with kids, they are the biggest mindfulness practice that you can have because they are either insanely present or Mm -hmm. insanely unpresent. But most of the time, especially when they're toddlers, they are very present in who they are and they do that through expressing their emotions fully. That's why I love working with toddlers because they express so fully and a lot of people hate it because they call it like the toddler the terrible twos and the toddler tantrums but it's a beautiful example of what it means to be fully present in your emotions and as we grow older you can learn different ways of being mindful in your emotions and learning to express them in healthy ways Mm -hmm. but toddlers are a great example of not holding back and being within that moment if they're feeling sad they are fully in that emotion. If they're feeling happy, they are fully in that emotion. If they're playing, they are fully in their play. So if you have an opportunity to play with kids, I highly recommend like linking up with someone that has kids and playing with them just for like five minutes and watching how they play and how intentional they are with their lives. Mm. Because it is such a lesson for us adults because we lose that throughout time. We lose what it means to be in play, to be in fun, to be in happiness, to be in sadness fully without checking out and getting in our heads. Right, right. And I love what you were saying about like taking time, like to just feel the water on your skin and like moments like that. Because I think when people think mindfulness and all of this stuff, they think meditation Mm -hmm. and people are so terrified of meditation and so terrified to witness what's going to go on inside their head. And they're terrified of that like uncomfortable moment and stuff like that. And I think like that really prevents people 
from seeing the benefit of it, you know? So I think that that might even be a better place to start, honestly, than the meditation. And that would probably make it easier because if you can just learn like at a random point during the day to be mindful, Mm -hmm. then meditation gets so much easier too. Yeah. Yeah. What people don't realize is that mindfulness and meditation are two separate things. So mindfulness is the practice and meditation is a tool. So meditation is a tool to practice mindfulness, to practice being in the moment and to be present. But that's not the only way, that's not the only tool for mindfulness. You can also do sensory savoring, which is what I love doing in the beginning stages. And I still love this is going out on a walk and totally immersing myself in sensory experience. So Mm. you start out with one of your senses and it depends on the person different people like different things I personally love listening so I will zone in on one sound on a walk or wherever you're at you can do this in your office space too there's always sounds going on around you whether we notice it or not I love the walk because it lets me explore different sounds but going on a walk and listening to the birds and then focusing on that for a second and then tuning in again and seeing what else you can hear And then you can hear the wind rustling in the trees and then tuning in on that and feeling it, like what it feels like to listen, to hear that, what it feels like in your body. And then going throughout that whole practice and focusing in on different things, different different things you can listen to, and then switching it up if you want to, different things you can see and fully see it in that and what it is. So instead of just glancing past the tree or glancing past a bug or an animal, actually seeing it and looking at it as if it's the first time you're ever seeing it, Mm -hmm. listening to it as if it's the first time you're ever Mm -hmm. listening to it. Because usually it is like the thing with kids is that they are so new and so fresh to the world. That's why they're so inquisitive and so curious and it's inspirational. So you can take that example from children and being curious with the environment around you again, because we rarely ever tune into our senses to fully take in what we're hearing what we're seeing what we're smelling what Mm -hmm. we're tasting if we're eating there are so many different mindfulness practices and it's not just meditation Mm -hmm. they can be meditations in themselves some people can call that like a walking meditation but it's not a place where you're like just sitting with yourself and you're like trying not to think and then Mm -hmm. you start thinking and you're like oh man i'm thinking like this meditation sucks instead you have a focus and that's what i really like when you're starting out in with mindfulness practices having some type of focus so that you're not just sitting in silence alone with yourself. Mm -hmm. So focusing on, on sound can be really helpful in building your resilience Mm -hmm. with your, the habit of thinking with the addiction to thinking. Right. Right. And you posted one day, I think you shared like a little bit of like the sensory experience um, of you eating a grape. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Really sensual. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought it was so interesting. Yeah, so that's um that's another sensory mindfulness practice. I call it mindful eating. A lot of other mindfulness teachers call it the same thing. You can call it a bunch of different things. It doesn't matter what the fuck you call it. It's just the practice. And this practice is being really intentional with the action. It all comes back to intention. And usually when we're eating, we are so mindless. Like we just, we have a craving, we are hungry. And then we fulfill that craving. And we usually, like, I eat really fucking fast. I eat like an animal, especially when I'm starving. Like, I can scarf down a sandwich so quick. Mm. But when you are being more mindful and intentional with it, like, it is such a savory, yummy, rich experience. 
and the practice that you're talking about, I posted in my stories, it is a mindfulness meditation where you take an individual food item, a small item like a, a grape or an acorn or a peanut or whatever it may be that you have in your pantry, and you savor that experience. So you start out holding it in your hand and looking at it, looking at it as if it's the first time that you've ever seen that fruit in your entire life. You look and notice the colors, you notice the textures, you notice the way it reflects light, maybe the way it's casting shadows, maybe the different types of textures, if it has different textures, and really noticing it and seeing it. And then you go on to smell and you smell it and you close your eyes and you take in that moment and you really notice the the sweetness or maybe it's sour or tart, what exactly it's smelling like in your nose. And then you put it in your mouth, but you're going to have the instinct, the animal urge to chew, devour, and then swallow. Mm -hmm. So then you notice that and you get curious with that, like noticing what instincts are coming up when you put this food in your mouth and you just be with that. And then you, you kind of resist against it and you just let it sit in your mouth. And then you notice what that tastes like as it's sitting on your taste buds. And then you move it around with your tongue. It's honestly like the way it feels when you're in that moment, it feels very seductive, very sensual, because it's an experience that we usually don't give to ourselves. Like we don't savor our food. So as you're going through this, you're going to have different impulses. So you slowly work through it with your tongue. It's great. That's why I do guided meditations and guided mindfulness practices, because if you don't have someone with you, especially in the beginning of your in your processes and uh, in your practices, it's going to be really hard to resist those mm-hmm. urges. Yeah. And then you'll be like, okay, it's been five seconds. Now I can chew, and then now I can swallow. Mm-hmm. But if you have someone guiding you through it, you're like, okay, they haven't they haven't moved me on yet. We haven't gone further yet. I'm going to wait. I'm going to keep going through this experience, and I help guide you back to like it's okay if you're having these these urges and these instincts. It's normal because if you're doing it alone, you're like, okay, I'm stupid for having this instinct, like, why am I having this? So the guided, the guided mediator is really Mm -hmm. important in the beginning, but with the practice, it gets a little bit easier. And then you finally, after you take that first bite into that item and noticing what it tastes like and how the texture changes as you begin to chew up that one single item and how the, the taste changes, if it goes from sweet to sour and it loses all of that juice, And then finally being able to swallow and being able to feel it pass from your mouth down to your throat and into your stomach. And this is an experience that people do not have with their their eating. And I feel like there are a lot of people who have really hard relationships with food because of how we were raised. There's a lot of women especially that go through high school with eating disorders and things like that because we see food as shameful. And it really comes down to the relationship that we have with with food. We have it as this, we we feel that food is something that is here to hurt us because the relationship that we have with our body is so insecure. Mm. So when we start loving our relationship with food, we start loving ourselves and then it it totally transforms our relationships with, with us and with the people around us. And in general with our life like we love to live we live deeper and fuller when we start to have these mindfulness practices because the relationships change 
Mm, I love that because I think like it's really hard when you're first learning about mindfulness mm. to understand the real impact of it. Yeah. You know, like something like mindfully eating a grape. Mm. I think it's easy to think, how the hell could that help yeah. me? That's a waste of time. Why yeah, it am seems I doing so silly. This? Yeah. And then to like see how over time it could go as far as to change your entire relationship with yourself or yeah. heal from an eating disorder and, you know, call in like wonderful relationships. Mm. And, you know, it just like ripples out into all of these other areas. Mm. And it's funny how these things can stem from just something so simple. Yeah. Yeah. And it usually <sighs> intention is so beautiful like I this I, I'm just so passionate about mindfulness because when we become more grounded we are able to connect to the world in such a, a new way that you would some people go their whole lives without having the opportunity to do so eating a grape with intention I'm not promising this result, but it can change your entire relationship to food because mm -hmm. you in the past would not let food in mm -hmm. or you would binge eat. Some people have like the, the incessant urge, incessant, insistent. Mm -hmm. Some people have the insistent urge to, to eat. Yeah. And I used to binge eat in high school. I, yeah. I still have that problem. If I'm stressed out, I just want to binge eat. And usually mm -hmm. it'll come past like after the hours of 10. Right. I'll yeah. just like want to eat all the crackers, all the cookies. Yeah. And like, then I feel sick the next day and I'm like, oh my God, that was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then we, like coming back into the practices is really helpful in those times where you feel weak mm -hmm. or you feel insecure and it's okay to go through relapsing. Like, it's going to happen as you're learning to overcome these different things, but these practices help build your resilience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important. Like you're, there's going to be times where you relapse. There's going to be times when you mess yeah, up, absolutely. you know, for the rest of your life, you know, because we're human and we yeah. make mistakes. So as long as you have that practice there to return to, yeah. that's all that matters. You don't have to be perfect about it. Yeah. Returning with compassion. Yeah, exactly. So you have been a nanny for how many years? Eight years now? It's going on eight. Yeah. Yeah. And you are obviously very passionate about working with kids. Mm -hmm. You always yeah. talk about it. Like whenever <laughs> you talk about kids, like your eyes just light mm -hmm. up, you know? Yeah. Um, and you also used to coach parents on mindfulness mm -hmm. too. So can you share a little bit for the people who are listening, who are parents about how to be mindful with their children? Yeah. So I'm very passionate about children because they, they're going to be adults. They're going to, they're little humans and they are very impressionable. And the relationships that we have with them now are going to be the stepping stones into their future. So I love working with parents and building the relationship with their child from a, a perspective of mindfulness and intention because when children have healthy, safe, and secure attachments to their parents, it makes way, way for a healthy, secure, safe attachment with their own life mm -hmm. and with future relationships with self and with other people. Yeah. So having a mindful relationship with your child is coming into grounded presence when you are with them and having intentional time. What parents usually get stuck in, especially with the world that we live in right now, a lot of people work nine to five jobs 
and it can be really hard to get stuck in the craziness of life. Like there's a lot that you have to keep up with when you're a parent. You're not just working outside of the house. Some are even stay at home moms, but there's a lot that you have to juggle. There's a lot on your plate and it can be really easy to get overwhelmed in that. It can be really easy to get stuck in that cycle of do, 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 and you never stop. Mm -hmm. And you never just sit here. Yeah. And get quiet. And with kids, the reason why I love working with them is because they are very energetically aware. And there's moments I fucking love being crazy. I love dancing and I love like getting really loud and having a lot of fun and then I'll get quiet Mm -hmm. and then they'll go with it and then we'll practice and then we'll get really loud and we'll get really crazy and we'll have a lot of fun and then we'll get quiet (laughs) and they love it and they'll go with it. And and they, they just love that intention right yeah. where most people they're like really loud really crazy and really energetic and they're, it, they're just stuck in that state like it is really overwhelming and really anxiety driven mm-hmm. like my energy my crazy energy isn't stemming from anxiety it's stemming from intentional enthusiasm like mm-hmm. i love high energy but i also love to come back into grounded presence mm-hmm. and both of them are present but the other one is like highly energetic. And then this one's like a lower energy level. And they are both in extreme presence. So being with your kids, when you are stuck in one way of being, it's going to be impossible to have a, a genuine connection with your children because you're always thinking about something else. Mm-hmm. You're either thinking about work or you're thinking about your relationship with your spouse or you're thinking about what needs to be fixed with the dishwasher or whatever it may be. And it's normal. It's natural. And those things need to be thought about. But with intention, you shouldn't be thinking about all of those things at once. Because if you are, none of that shit's going to be taken care of. Like, it's not productive. Mm-hmm. It's not helping you. And it's not helping your children. And it's not helping the relationship. So being mindful is releasing the shame you have around having to carry all of that. And when you're with your children, you make intentional time to be with them Mm -hmm. because you are going to have other responsibilities as a parent. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to go to work. You're going to have to fix the dishwasher. You're going to have to take time to be with your spouse. And I highly encourage that for for couples and for parents to also take time to spend with with your significant other. But it should be with intention. And that's the same with your children. So when you're coming home from work or you're coming out of one activity to go into another activity that is with your children, it's being super mindful in that moment instead of what I see very often with with parents is they'll come home, they're exhausted from work, it makes sense, but they'll like blow past their kids and they'll like try to get dinner started and they're like trying to rush through the rest of the evening when they just need to stop just for a second, just for five seconds. Like kids need five minutes of transition time from you getting home to spend intentional time with them and being with them to go and move into the next activity Mm -hmm. and speaking them like talking with them through that process because most people like with anxiety and with like all of this mental processing that's going on in your head you're skipping from one thing to the other so I like to encourage parents to like chunk up their time so if you you're working from nine to five you get home at like 5 30 take five minutes to ground yourself in your car take another 10 minutes after you walk in the door be with your children, like really be, turn off your phone, 
don't start dinner yet. Like, don't I think do it's anything. so easy to walk in and just be like, hey, and then yeah, keep going. Yeah, it is. Like, it's the same thing with, like, pets mm-hmm. or, like, like, with anything that you have to, like, have a relationship with. It's so easy to just get stuck in, like, what you have to do next. And especially when you have uh, a schedule. Like, I love schedules. And I can get stuck in a place where I'm like, okay, from 5 to 5.30, it's this thing. And then 5.30 to 6, it's this thing. And I won't give myself space to, like, pause in between those actions. So these things need to get done. You need to cook dinner, but you also need to give yourself some space and time to mindfully and intentionally be with your children because that is how they connect. They connect through pause. They connect through intention. And the thing that I've noticed with humans the most is that we crave to be seen. Like we really want to be seen. Mm -hmm. And in order to be seen, we have to be heard. And we have to be looked at and we have mm-hmm. to be observed most people don't do that and that's why we feel such a disconnect from our parents that's why we feel such a disconnect sometimes from our spouse because they are functioning from from a place of what's next mm-hmm. instead of what is yeah and when you come into what is when you come into this present moment you're able to be with them you're able to see them and they see you and this bond strengthens and it's it's unbelievable. You don't even have to spend like three hours of intentional time. It's like 15 mm-hmm. minutes of like intentional focus and being that can transform things. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, imagine if everyone just spent five to 10 minutes being super intentional with their family members or their yeah. kids every day, like how much that could benefit them, yeah. you know, and benefit their entire life and your entire life yeah. too. You know, that would just be such an amazing practice. Yeah. If only we could just make everyone do it. <laughs> I am. I really think that COVID was nature's way of forcing us into pause. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we took full advantage of it. I think mm-hmm. that it was, it was necessary, mm-hmm. but it was kind of over, it was bypassed. We weren't, we, we didn't take full advantage of that moment to pause and be with each other, mm-hmm. which is like what we needed. We right. needed a pause and we still need a pause. I think we need a pause that's much longer than like three months or six yeah. months that we've experienced here in Florida. But yeah. we, we just need time to be because we function in a society that literally revolves around doing so mm-hmm. much that if we don't give ourselves time to be, we are disconnected. Yeah. Disconnected from self and in turn disconnected from the people around us because yeah. we can't be connected with the people around us if we're not connected to ourselves. Right. Yeah. And I think the phone also creates an extra barrier mm-hmm. there too, because then it's like, you're, you're also filling all these tiny little moments yeah. that you have throughout the day with your cell phone yeah, moments where people used to not do that. You know, we used to pay attention to each other and, you know, read something Mm -hmm. or have a conversation. And, you know, like I'm noticing lately, like Matt and I will be in the same room and we're like half talking to each other and we're both on our phones Mm -hmm. and the TV's on and there's just like so much noise. So it's like navigating that too. Yeah. Um, so I guess that sort of brings up another question I have for you. Like, how do we be mindful now that we are, you know, addicted to social media and we have Mm -hmm. our cell phone there all the time? Like, are there certain practices that you teach to be more mindful with your technology? Like, are there things that you recommend people do or things that you do to practice so that you can 
put the mm. phone down for a little while and be more mindful. Yeah. I've noticed recently that I've had a harder relationship with my phone because I, my business functions through my phone primarily right. through social media. So yeah. I will lie to myself and be like, I have to be on social media right now <laughs> when I'm really just scrolling through my feed. <laughs> like I'm not doing anything productive. Uh-huh. But it's really easy to get stuck there right. because yes. it's fun uh-huh. and it's numbing. Like that's the biggest thing is that we all have our tools for numbing and some are healthy and some are unhealthy. And one of the unhealthy tools that we don't recognize as much is the social media. It's our phone because it's so absent-minded. I will pick mm-hmm. up my phone and not even know like I have my phone in my hand that I'm scrolling. Like it's so mm-hmm. automatic and it is really important. So the biggest thing that I advocate for people to do is not wake up and check their phone. Mm-hmm. Like get an alarm clock. I had to get an alarm clock because I'd be like, oh, I'm just checking the time. And then I'll go on Instagram and then I'll be on right. there for an hour. And it's so easy. Like so many people have the excuse like, well, I need my phone. It was yeah. an alarm clock. Like, yeah. you know, they still make alarm clocks. Like, yeah. Just then we're going to make excuses. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're going to yeah. make excuses until you're ready to commit. So I bought an alarm clock and I still made the excuse. And I'm like, I just don't like the sound of the alarm clock. I don't wake up in a good mood from it. I'm like, "Mm -hmm, that's stupid. (laughs) That's not like, I really, I just want to have an excuse to be on my phone in the mornings. Right. So turning off your phone, not even just like putting it on silent, but turning off your phone before bed. um, If you don't need it for like emergencies or for children or whatever, I don't have any of that right now. So by that, I mean children (laughs) of my own. So I use just my alarm clock and I won't go on my phone for the first, like, it depends on the day. Sometimes it'll only be 30 minutes. Other times I have more time in the mornings that I can stay off my phone for the first, like, two hours. But it is so important. I I realized I spoke to someone a few months back. They were waking up with a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, during the whole COVID situation. I'm like, it's because you're waking up, getting on your phone, and looking at all of the negative things that are going on in the world. Right. It's important to stay informed. But it's, it's very unhelpful to start your day from that place. Right. In a place of anxiety. You're not helping anyone, especially not yourself. So she didn't know what to do. And I was like, just turn off your phone in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And it helped her exponentially. Like yeah. she wasn't, she was still waking up with a little bit of anxiety, but mm-hmm. because she was able to start her day in a new way, it didn't snowball throughout her day. Mm-hmm. When before she checked her phone and she's like, everything is going wrong in the right. world. Yes. Uh-huh. Everything sucks. And then <laughs> she, she was in a constant state of anxiety. Yeah. yeah. So. And then the notifications yeah. going off and like. You know, you get what you're thinking about, right? Yeah. As, you know, like attracts like going mm. back to manifestation. So if you're just consuming two mm. hours of cyberbullying and online hate yeah. and this is going wrong and that is going wrong and then you're looking at other people's mm. lives on top of it and comparing yourself to them, yeah. it's like you're starting your day off on this horrible energetic vibration and you're not even able to be intentional you're not even able to really put into your life the energy and get out of it what you want to get out of life because we're just so uh, checked out yeah we're just on autopilot and then we just reach for our phone constantly yeah and it was interesting I had a two-hour intensive session with someone this week And she was saying that she's so addicted to her phone and it's giving her so much anxiety too, you know, same story. And she's like, I don't know what happens. Like I just, I go on my phone and then all of a sudden 
two hours go by and mm-hmm. I'm still on my phone, you know? Yeah. And what I told her to do was to notice the sensations that are happening in her body yeah. when she's starting to get checked out and mm-hmm. zone out and sort of go into that zombie mode of scrolling yeah. and stuff like that. And I told her to like journal on all of that, mm-hmm. like journal what is happening with your eyes, what's happening in mm-hmm. your body. You know, oh, like God. when you put the phone down, have you ever like been on your computer for so long and then all of a sudden like you get off your computer after eight hours and you're like, mm-hmm. what is going yeah. on? Like your eyes cannot <laughs> Is this it's reality? so overwhelmed. Like yeah. your eyes cannot focus on anything. And it's yeah. just like, you just feel like you automatically need to get a screen in front of your face mm-hmm. so that it feels better. So mm-hmm. I told her to journal on every single sensation, everything that was going on with her that way. It's not like, we'll just put your phone down, mm-hmm. but that way she's like aware of that yeah. sensation. And then she can pick up on, Oh, my eyes are starting to do that thing. Yeah. And I'm starting to like, you know, this is happening and that's happening. And I think it really just starts with that awareness piece first, you know, Yeah. and then making the decision to not do that anymore. Like you have to be, like you said, you have to be ready for it. You have to make the decision and you can't just say, Oh, I'm going to try. Yeah. I'm going to try and put down my phone because Mm. then you're never going to put down your phone. Right. You're never going to do the manifestation practice. If you're quote trying, (laughs) you have to decide. And then from there, then you can adopt those mindfulness practices, Mm. you know? Yeah. It is like your phone is an addiction. Like Mm -hmm. it is such an absent-minded addiction. The other day I was like, man, I've been on my phone for like an hour doing nothing. I need to do my laundry. So I turned off my phone and it was so funny. It made me laugh during this experience because I turned off my phone. I was doing laundry. And as I was doing laundry, I couldn't even tell you when my phone appeared in my hand, but somehow it was back in my hand but because my phone was off. Like I couldn't do anything on it. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, I picked this up without even like having an intentional awareness of picking it up. Right. And that's exactly what an addiction is. An addiction is something that you like do out of habit. And sometimes mm-hmm. it is super unconscious. And to break that, you have to start doing something different. Like you have to make a different choice. And it's becoming aware of like what your body feels like when you are like falling back into that pattern. Mm-hmm. And for me, I didn't even feel my body when I was falling back into that pattern yeah. because I was just so out of it. Like I've been doing mindfulness for years and I still have moments where I'm just like yeah. completely out. Right. And I'll like, as I'm doing laundry, it can be a therapy practice for me. Like it's a meditative practice. But it can also be where I'm like, okay, what do I have to do today? What do I have to do this evening? What else needs to get done? And then when those thoughts come into my head, I've noticed that's when I want to go pick up my phone because mm-hmm. that's like a numbing tool where I'm like, okay, I don't have to think about this if yeah. I have my phone. Yeah. Like I don't have to think about the things that I have to do on my to-do list if I have yeah. my phone. So then I recognize like that was the trigger. And I was talking about this in a live with another friend about like the three parts of the habit or an addiction it's your trigger and then the habit and then the reward. Mm. So figure out what's triggering you. Like why exactly are you wanting to get on social media, pick up your phone and then the habit. And I'm sure that applies to other things too. Yeah, like what is triggering absolutely. you to want to go grab the cookies right yeah. now? Yeah. Yeah. It applies to honestly any, any habit, any absent-minded uh, tick that you have. Mm-hmm. You can 
identify some type of trigger. Sometimes there's multiple triggers. When right. I smoked cigarettes, it was like getting in my car was a big trigger for me because I loved having something to do with my hands. It was like going outside. It was being around social people, people being in a group. If I was drinking, that was a trigger. So there can be multiple triggers. So kind of pinpointing where that trigger is at. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into the habit. So when you are triggered, you want to, you want to perform that habit, whether it be picking up your phone, eating the cookie, smoking the cigarette. And then at the end, there's some type of reward. So the reward is usually, it can be numbing. So for cigarettes, for me, it was numbing. It was helping to ease my anxiety. Uh, Social media, it can be numbing. It can be a numbing tool. Uh, Or it can be a place of excitement. Like you want to watch puppy videos for Mm -hmm. some type of joy. That can be your reward. For cookies, it can be a numbing, but it can also be a reward of sweets. Like you, you want something sweet. So if you're wanting to replace that habit or get out of that addiction, you can find something else to replace the habit. So instead of scrolling on social media, you notice every time you're triggered, you go to pick up your phone, have something to replace that. So for me, it was doing something. I would like journal. I would like write one or two things. Like I want to pick up my phone or it's you can, you can replace this with anything, honestly, anything where you can get like a stress ball or you can go and like take a breath outside. Mm -hmm. So then you start replacing that habit with something else. And then with Mm -hmm. the cookies, if you're wanting something sweet, you can go have a piece of fruit. So you buy more fruit. So then you can replace that with the cookies so that you're still getting some type of reward, the same or similar reward, but you're not doing it where you in a place that you feel unsatisfied and unhappy with right and you're also not doing it on autopilot right Mm -hmm. exactly so then you not only have a healthier habit but you feel better so it it's replacing all of these unconscious patterns with conscious patterns right conscious conditioning so Mm -hmm. then unconscious conditioning is what we're coming out of as humans Mm -hmm. i think that's what consciousness is it's coming out of this conscious unconscious conditioning that we learned as like young adults and into adulthood and some people die with unconscious conditioning Mm -hmm. but there is this revolution yeah that's the word I was looking for there's this revolution of people coming into consciousness that are reconditioning themselves Mm -hmm. in a new way where we have healthier patterns healthier relationships safer patterns safer relationships Mm -hmm. wow that was good (laughs) (laughs) okay we are back from our intermission (laughs) We're fine. We've peed. We've had hummus. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the next thing that I want to talk to you about is inner child healing, Mm -hmm. because I know that you've been doing a lot of inner child work. You're doing inner child meditations. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing this come up a lot in the spiritual community lately. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just, it's never completely clicked as far as Mm -hmm. the inner child healing and like the work that goes into it. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you can explain what our inner child is and why our inner child needs healing. Mm, Yeah. So we've all been children Mm -hmm. and what people usually forget is that we were children. (laughs) Like we come into adulthood and we lose all perspective of our childhood And what usually happens is that we are raised in a very specific way with very specific conditions, and that's the way we function. So the way that we were guided, the way that our caregivers provided to us is the way that we function in the world. So this is why we have a lot of tendencies that we have now, and this this goes very deep into psychology, which 
I am not a psychology major, but in my years of working with children for going on eight years, I've noticed the relationship between how our children are supported and the relationship to themselves. So Mm. oftentimes we are built from a place of insecurity because our parents, our caregivers, they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. That's like just the raw, honest truth. Like most parents have no fucking idea what they're doing. They're going in from a place of one, insecurity with themselves and no experience. So if you are a first time parent, like, and you've never been around children, you've never, most people have never raised a human before. Like Mm -hmm. that is a big responsibility and a big job. And the thing with humans is that the insecurities that we have with ourselves, if you are unconscious, you project them on other people. Oh yeah. So with inner child healing, it's going in and nurturing yourselves, nurturing yourself in a way that your parents did not do for you because they were projecting their insecurities onto you. And can you give us like an example maybe? Yeah. So what I do is inner child connections and visualizations with inner child healing. You are learning to see yourself from a different perspective. We are often seeing ourselves as the adult or whatever condition we're in right now, this present moment, but there are parts of us that need attention where we were not parented in the quote unquote right way. So with my inner child connections, I walk three people through a visualization to see the inner child of themselves that need the most attention. And it's going, it's different for every person. Different people experience different things. Some people experience their five-year-old self. Other people experience their like teen self, but it usually comes from a place where they did not receive what they needed to receive as a child from their caregivers. So Mm. they are feeling scared. They feel fearful. They feel inadequate. They feel insecure. They feel sad. They feel anxious. Mm. And instead of a caregiver coming in and providing for them and holding them and holding space for them and loving them, regardless of the circumstances, they are able to do that for themselves. Mm. So I oftentimes in these visualizations will have these two different sides of you. We'll have the you that you are now, your present self, and we'll have inner child you. And it's going to look different for everyone because your mind's eye is going to different be different from my mind's eye. But I walk you through a visualization where you guys can meet and talk to each other. And you start to reparent yourself. You start to look at this inner child and speak to them in the way that they need to be spoken to. Mm. Sometimes it can be a little bit firmer like if it's your your teen self and they're being like super rebellious and kind of bratty, <laughs> you'd be like, this is not the way. This is not what, how you need to behave. But I am here for you and I love you and I support you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And often there's, and there's also other times where they are younger children and they need a different type of, of language because they are maybe something more kind and like nurturing and softer more maternal and it depends on like your relationship to your parents some people just did not get that at all like they just did not get I see this a lot with men they just did not get the permission to feel to feel sad to feel scared to feel fearful because that was too girly Mm -hmm. like that was just gross like that's gay 
And I was just talking to Matt and Pat about that this week. They were saying like, whenever something was wrong, when they were growing up, they were just told to rub some dirt on it. Yeah. Or they'd hear like, you're being a pussy. Yeah, exactly. And they're, they were, they were never given permission to just be a human. Right. And to express and to have, to have a safe space for expression. Mm-hmm. So walking throughout these visualizations, you give them a voice. Mm-hmm. You're giving your inner child a voice that they never had before. Right. And you're not only giving them a voice, but you're also giving them the space to be held completely without any judgment, right. without yeah. any shame, without any guilt. And you did not receive that as a child in some way or another. Right. Even if your parents were the best fucking parents in the world, they fucked up in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Like we are not perfect. We're human. And it's not their responsibility to be perfect because it's our responsibility to be able to have this safe space in ourselves to comfort ourselves from this place so that when we are connecting with people, we're connecting from authentic connection and not attachment. Mm -hmm. So then when you're able to source your love and your nurturement from yourself, even if people are being blatant assholes, it has no effect on you because you're sourcing your security in here, in your heart. And most people do not have this resource because they are taught to depend on other people for their validation, for their permission, right. for their love. So it it really transforms relationships when you're able to source this, when you're able to talk to your ch- inner child and love your inner child and source this love from yourself. Mm-hmm. And then when you're connecting in relationships, it's transformational yeah. because it's from a different place. But this inner child healing, the reason why it's so popular now is because it's important. Like our our parents and the past generations before us were not taught this depth of love. They were taught to speak only when spoken to. They were taught to never cry. They were taught to not show affection. It depends on the household, but there are going to be different moments that you didn't receive what you needed to receive. And it could have been because it was unspoken, because you never told anyone what you needed, whether you needed to be held physically, whether you needed to express, because kids kids don't know how to verbalize what they're needing at all yeah. times. Well, and sometimes you might live in a household where you're not allowed to have needs. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even when you verbalize it, it's like, fuck off. Like, right. That's, you're being dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So reparenting your inner child is giving yourself safety, like full safety that you just couldn't receive and may never be able to receive from your parents. Yeah. There's always going to be a longing in us that like that hopes and prays for this part of us that wants to connect with our parents in like this full way. Right. Like we want mommy and daddy to hold us mm-hmm. and accept us and to love us. Right. And that may never fully happen. Yeah. And it's hard to accept and it sucks. It mm-hmm. really sucks. And it's a lot to process. But when you're going through these visualizations, I have seen so many people in my workshops and one-on-one just break down. Right. Because they have never felt that kind of love before. Right. Like love from self. I know. Yeah. It is I I can't even explain it. It's really hard to explain, like going through the visualization because it's so different for everyone. Everyone's experience is different, but the pure love is Mm -hmm. the same and it's transformational. I highly encourage 
anyone and everyone to do some kind of inner child healing and inner child work Mm -hmm. because there is a lot of people just bypassing it and using like spirituality or or all of these different ways um like numbing watching tv to yeah, not you can't look at bypass things. it you have to yeah. heal it and i wish i would have known about this a long time ago because yeah. i really really struggled with this and the last two years or more it's been like three years since i moved out i was struggling with being an adult because yeah. i was just always told like you're stupid you're mm. a stupid teenager you're dramatic you don't know anything my mom would always say like your brain is not fully developed. Mm-hmm. She loved to tell me how my brain wasn't developed. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just always like, I'm stupid. I'm mm-hmm. stupid. So then I was like, oh my God, I have no idea how to be an adult. And I felt like I was this 14 year old girl yeah. that was dumped out into the world. Like take care yeah. of yourself now, you stupid idiot. You yeah. know. And I didn't realize over the last three years that I had been needing that inner child healing. And it's so interesting because it had to... First, I had to have that realization, like, I'm never going to get what I want in this Mm -hmm. relationship. I'm never going to get it from my parents. Like, you can fantasize all day long of, like, you want your mom to just, like, wrap you in her arms and say she loves you or whatever it may be. But we do have to parent ourselves. And Mm -hmm. you do have to let go of that attachment to not even just your parents, but expecting and wanting anyone to be a certain way, right? So that you can give yourself that care and that love and that validation. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, my coach actually walked me through an inner child healing. And Mm -hmm. I did that with her one day. And I was embarrassed because it was on a group coaching call, but she did it with me and the same thing happened. I just broke down, started Mm. bawling. And then all of the other girls on the call, they're empaths. So they just started crying, watching me cry. And it was so powerful and just so crazy. And I was like, oh my God, I can do that all the time. And since I did that, I always talk to myself. And like I I tell myself sometimes verbally, sometimes in my head, but I'm like, you got this. You're smart. You figured everything out before you got to this point. And now I am my own mom, you know, Mm. and I do that for myself. And it feels so good to have released that attachment because Mm -hmm. if you wait for someone else to behave a certain way or make you happy or you wait to feel happy in order for someone else to do something, it's never going to happen, right? So part of this healing is you have to be able to provide that for yourself. You have to Mm -hmm. be safe and loved and validated yourself and not need it from someone else. Yeah, exactly. There, so (laughs) we physically, we all physically grow into adults, all of us. But very rarely, few and far between, do we psychologically grow into adults. Right. Because <laughs> we are stuck in I've usually that, yeah. it stops in like the teen years. Right. Usually. Because we're often not taught how to be an adult because the generation before us stopped at teen years. So it's like this repeating right. cycle of and teenagers that raising weird, teenagers. Like, that that was a really crazy realization I had like two years ago. Like Where right when I got out of college, it was maybe a year after that, I was looking around at the way adults were behaving and I was like, what the (laughs) fuck? What? I was like, these are the people who are raising us. 
looked up to my entire yeah. life. Like yeah. I always thought it's like reality adults check. are like so smart. They know something I don't. They have a secret. They're so intelligent. Like mm. I just thought like I was an idiot compared to them. And like, they were just, I don't know. Like I put adults on this pedestal yeah. and it's interesting when I grew up and I realized, wow, like so many grown ass men and women are acting like 13 year old girls and they actually never developed into an adult psychologically. And it was like this crazy mind blowing moment where I was like, Oh my God, everyone's fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) We're all just a bunch of kids who can drive cars and we have more money. That's That's it. Exactly. That's it. it. (laughs) And that's where like this, there's this pivotal point right now in humanity where consciousness is like life or death for humans you know Mm. because we're functioning from fucking teenage mentality that's the reason why we have so much so many problems in this world that's why we have war that's why we have genocide that's why we have like that's why we have all of these reoccurring issues that have literally been reoccurring since the beginning of time, the mm-hmm. beginning of humanity. And in order for us to transcend beyond this, we have to become conscious. And becoming conscious means that we have to psychologically mature. And I I am a huge advocate for anyone wanting to be a parent to have some type of work with psychology. Mm-hmm. Not saying you have to have a major, but do your research. Like, get to know the human mind, get to understand the complexities of being human, get to understand yourself, get to understand your complexities, your shadows, because once you start start to understand a more rounded way of being instead of your narrow vision that you believe, like you have these like adults on a pedestal, mm-hmm. when you have a larger perspective, it makes your parenting more well-rounded and your expectations are not as weird like you start to have more flexibility within the human experience right yeah and you can also raise children from a place of understanding a place of compassion and empathy because you have all of this previous experience and previous knowledge with psychology and I also advertise for people to be around kids before you have kids yeah exactly they're interesting right. humans. There humans. was a part in there where you were talking and I literally got chills and like my heart started racing because <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. I was like, mental note, I need to quote that. That needs to be a Pinterest graphic. <laughs> what was it? I don't know. It was about like consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> it was good though. It was good. I'll go back and I'll listen to this okay. and I'll tell you what you said, but it was amazing. <laughs> So another thing that you talk about is the people-pleasing tendencies. And I know you're super passionate about working with people-pleasers because you used to be a Mm people-pleaser. So I'm wondering, I remember you saying like that the inner child really, the people-pleasing tendencies connect to the inner child. Can Mm -hmm. you explain how that is? Yeah. So going off of what I was talking about earlier, when we, we raised from the comprehension of our parents. So when we are raised, we are just repeating patterns of the previous ex- previous generations. So our inner child, from the perspective of a people pleaser, our inner child was raised to believe that their worth and validation stemmed from the acceptance of other people. Mm. And if they were not fully living up to those expectations, they were unworthy. Right. They were unlovable. They were cast aside. 
they were not seen, if they were not providing, if they were not working their hardest, if they were not making the straight A's or performing in exactly the way that they're being expected. So these tendencies stem from your inner child's insecurities. And with people pleasing, your insecurity is being unseen if you are not matching up to other people's expectations. Mm -hmm. Being judged and not being worthy just because you're not doing what you should be doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And usually there's a relationship, different opposite energies attract. This is like we see this with magnets and whatever else you want to or you know relationships yeah exactly (laughs) but that's like with with narcissists and people pleasing that's why these patterns persist because people pleasers were either raised by a narcissist or they had a narcissist that was close to them Uh and that's how they grew to be a people pleaser because they had to perform for the narcissist Mm. and they started people pleasers are oftentimes codependent and codependency is where they are always functioning from a place where they have to take care of the other person. Right. And people pleasers are constantly trying to take care of emotionally and mentally the narcissist. So they start repeating this in their relationships, in their romantic life as they get older or friendships, and they are trying to take care of them. They're trying to please them so that emotionally and mentally they're quote unquote taking care of them, mm-hmm. but they are neglecting their own needs. They're neglecting their own desires. And they often don't even know what the fuck that is because they're taught to put other people above themselves. Yeah. They they don't even know who they are without pleasing other people. Right. Like mm-hmm. so they don't have an idea of what their desires yeah. are, what they want for their life because their life is other people's life. Right. Their life is what other people want. Mm-hmm. So their reality it literally depends on other people. Mm-hmm. So if you take those people away, it's like their sense of identity is stripped away. Right. So people pleasing it it's a journey it's a process to come out of and i don't think that we ever 100 percent overcome everything i mm-hmm. think there's always going to be just like with the with technology with our social media and with the habits and the addictions the trigger and the urge is always going to be there there's always a time where i feel like i want to please other people where i'll be in a situation where I won't say anything. I won't speak up because I don't want other people to deem me as unworthy mm-hmm. or as too much, but it's doing it different. It's mm-hmm. choosing differently. And then throughout time, as you start to get into more of a practice with overcoming these things, you get better at it. Mm-hmm. And it's really a process. It can be long and hard, yeah. <laughs> but it can be done. Yeah. So how do you like heal these people pleasing tendencies then? Do we do it through the inner child work or Mm -hmm. are there other practices involved? For me, the biggest practice has been the inner child work because people pleasing is functioning from the inner child. Okay. So if you are within a relationship, it can be within a family dynamic. It can be within a romantic dynamic where you have a lot of people pleasing tendencies It's because you're not responding from your adult self. Mm -hmm. You're responding from your inner child self because you are feeling a certain emotion that is triggering the inner child. And oftentimes it's fear because you are conditioned to feel that response. So whenever you feel fear, 
you go into the people-pleasing habit. For me, it was experiencing um, it was experiencing a parent if they if I felt like they were expecting something of me and I didn't fulfill that expect expectation, fear would come up. Mm-hmm. And then my fear would roll into the people pleasing habit. And the people pleasing habit for me was to wait hand and foot on them without mm-hmm. actually asking what exactly they were wanting or needing. I would like assume it mm-hmm. and then I would try to perform it. And then it would be a very exhausting process because oftentimes the other person, the parent or the romantic partner or whatever, doesn't even know what's going on inside of your head. Like they don't know you're performing all of these things out of what you feel like is obligation from your people pleasing perspective, but you do it and then you are exhausted and then you feel taken advantage of and then you're tired. So it's performing in a different way it's choosing differently and that's why I said it takes time because there are going to be times where you're in the people-pleasing pattern and you don't choose differently you just repeat the habit yeah and it's okay it's going to take time to like come out of that but the next time you feel that fear come up get curious about it be like okay I'm feeling this right now I'm not going to react right away Mm -hmm. I'm not going to react I'm going to respond so reacting is functioning from the inner child responding is taking the responsibility as an adult Mm -hmm. so if you've done an inner child visualization you have more of a connection I feel like that's very important to first do so that you have a visual representation of your inner child in the mind's eye so then when you are put into these situations um, or you experience these situations you are able to more efficiently speak to your inner child in your head right and then you have this mini conversation before you actually respond to the situation yeah you're like okay I see that you're experiencing fear and I know you are scared but I promise it's okay Mm -hmm. and you don't have to be in the driver's seat I'm going to take care of this Mm -hmm. and then you feel like a badass you're feeling more responsible you're feeling like an adult and you're like I can handle this and I'm going to take care of my inner child because nobody else did in the past right so then you're like all right it's my responsibility this is my job to take care of this tiny little human and make sure that they're okay because they are scared right now yeah so instead of responding from that fear and functioning and people pleasing like okay i'm gonna get small and i'm gonna get quiet and i'm gonna do the dishes and i'm gonna make sure that everything's clear so that you don't yell at me mm-hmm. you're being like okay i know that you are angry with me right now but this is not my responsibility these are your dishes and i i can't do this right now mm-hmm. and It's going to be like those first few times where you're behaving in a new way from a different pattern. It's going to be really hard for the other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for you, but definitely for the other people. You're changing the dynamic, dude. Oh, they don't like that. that. No. (laughs) People do not like when you change dynamics, especially when it's not in favor of them. Right. You're a people pleaser. Yes. People expect you, like you're expected to behave in a way that pleases them. Uh-huh. And it's usually very unconscious that they're expecting this. Right. But right. then when it's thrown in their face, they're like, what the fuck? Like yeah. you are not doing what yeah. you usually do. Oh, yeah. And you're not sitting down and shutting up. Like what the hell is right. up with you? I feel like in the last couple of years, like I've had that experience so many times. Yeah. When people are like, whoa, yeah. why are you behaving this yeah, way? Yeah, they're like, you're a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess that's who I am now. Actually, I just put but, a boundary in place yeah, so you don't exactly. take advantage of me exactly yeah yeah and that's usually what it comes down to there's boundaries that you have to set with the people around you because people pleasers have no idea what boundaries even are yeah yeah so absolutely important yeah I love what you were saying about like 
getting curious too. Mm -hmm. Like you have to allow yourself to get curious rather than react or have judgment. Mm -hmm. It sort of reminded me of when I was like learning more about meditation. Um, I learned that like, if you have, if you feel like you need to itch, just get curious about it and yeah. where it is on the body and where it's moving and focus mm-hmm. on it and think about it. So you're not just automatically reacting, yeah. but you're just like putting more intention into it. And I think that that's kind of how we stop ourselves from getting a little lost or carried away yeah. because we're like, oh, this feels weird. I don't like this. You know, it really prevents you from getting agitated if you can just instead turn it into curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it comes back to mindfulness. That's why I'm yeah. so so adamant about mindfulness because mm-hmm. all of these different practices meditate or yeah meditation uh manifestation inner child work like it still roots back to mindfulness right because you have to get curious about these things mm-hmm. and you have to learn what it even means to get curious mm-hmm. and that's coming into the present moment observing the sensory environment around you and observing your inner environment, like what's going on inside of you mm-hmm. and what I remember when I first came into mindfulness and somebody asked me like, how does your body feel when you feel angry? And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Like my body just feels angry. Yeah. Like, and it, I thought it was just all in my mind, Yeah. but our body has a response to emotions. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's different for each emotion for anxiety. I get like a pressure on my chest for sadness. Like I feel it in my head and in my throat because I want to cry mm-hmm. for anger. Like I get jittery. I get like anxious because my heart starts beating. Like I get a, a lot of adrenaline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your body has responses to your emotions mm-hmm. and your inner child, when they are fearful, you have a response. So right. then getting curious is like getting mindful with yourself, getting right. mindful with that inner environment so you really know what's going on. Like you get real intimate in this type of work because right. you start mm-hmm. to know yourself in a way that you probably never expected, <laughs> but it is, uh-huh. it's important. It's right. really important to raise the consciousness. And how would you recommend that people get started with the inner child work? You said like the first thing is probably like being able to see the inner child and stuff like that. So do you think like a good place to start would be doing an inner child meditation with you or yeah. where would you suggest people go? Uh, yeah. So since most people forget that they were children or if they do, they just like they don't associate with them you know they're like this is the picture of me as a kid and they don't really have a connection to them so or they don't connect what they're feeling now right to why I'm feeling this way because of something that happened to me when I was six exactly so I would first I like people finding a picture of themselves as Mm -hmm. a child and it can be throughout like different stages I liked finding like a variety of different pictures so like one when I was a newborn like little tiny baby mm-hmm. one when I was like three to five a little bit older like in my preteen years like 10 to 13 and then one is my teenage self because all of these different children experience different emotions and different feelings and the reasons why they experience these different things so it gives you a little bit of a visual attachment so that you understand like yeah I went through that like that used to be me mm-hmm. so you may not know like what experience you exactly went through but at least you have a visual representation of what your childhood looked like mm-hmm. so having that chronological order of visuals is really helpful for people because we often just kind of neglect that we were ever children mm-hmm. and then after doing that doing some type of visualization or meditation practice to connect with your inner child So I do this one-on-one and I was also doing healing circles for a while and I think I'm going to bring them back because it's really important for people to have a space, safe community space Mm -hmm. where they can connect. Um, But I do one-on-ones and we we run through the meditation and the visualization for you to 
see your inner child mm-hmm. and for them to speak to you. It's really important because otherwise you're just thinking about a picture and there's not really a connection mm-hmm. when in these meditations and these visualizations, if you've never done meditation before, I like these because one, it's guided mm-hmm. and it's like a movie. Like when I'm, I'm guiding these visualizations, I'm, I'm describing the environment. I'm describing what exactly happens, mm-hmm. what exactly it's leading up to, how you can talk to them. So I'm leading this environment so that you're able to connect. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit different from like a regular or there's a bunch of different meditations, but a meditation where you're sitting by yourself right? because and you're just then trying, you're just trying to, to think. think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the visualizations are really nice because then you can connect with yourself and walk through this quote unquote, a movie mm-hmm. to speak to your inner child. And then you form that connection, you form that bond. So then going forward, when you're presented in the present moment with these challenges and these situations where your inner child is feeling a certain way, you've already had a conversation and connection with them and you're able to reestablish that connection and speak to them in a way that comforts them and then reassures them that they don't have to be the ones in the driver's seat because Mm -hmm. you can take care of it. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like going off of that, once you do the inner child healing, Mm -hmm. I'm sure boundary setting is Mm -hmm. important so that you don't repeat the same patterns and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I know that you speak a lot about setting boundaries. Can Mm -hmm. you go into that a little bit and like sort of how that plays into this whole process? Yeah. Yeah. So as you are taking the driver's seat from an adult perspective, children don't often know how to set boundaries because we aren't taught. We aren't taught how to own our bodies. We aren't taught how to own our voice. So boundaries are really hard, but it is the most transformational work that you can do in the present moment when you are functioning from your driver's seat. So to set a boundary, you first have to establish what it is that you are wanting to be different from the situation. So what exactly is going on? Like, how are they speaking to you? How is it making you feel? And then how do you want to feel? So if you are being spoken to as a stupid teenager and they're making you feel like shit and you don't want to feel that that way anymore, how do you want to feel? Mm -hmm. Do you want to feel empowered? Do you want to feel capable? Do you want to feel smart? If that's the case, what boundary do you have to set with them so that they're not making you feel that way anymore? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's just being straight up like, hey, this is not the right way to talk to me. I'm not going to allow this anymore. I know that I allowed it in the past, but it's not okay. Mm -hmm. There's going to be resistance. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes you'll have to replace the boundary over and over again, especially for toxic people who Mm -hmm. have extreme resistance to boundaries because you had never set them with them before. Mm -hmm. But setting it makes way for change right because if you want something different you have to do something different right exactly you can't just do the work on your own right and expect that other people are going to understand what's going on with you and know how to react yeah Yeah. so i think like it could be so frustrating like when you're starting to do all this work Mm. and you're like what the hell like i'm raising my vibration i'm being mindful i'm doing this i'm doing that and yet i'm still getting the same thing Mm. what the hell is going on Mm -hmm. and that was like a new lesson that I had to learn was like if you want something new 
you have to set that extremely clear boundary in your life. Otherwise, you're just going to keep drawing in the exact same people. And it's also like another lesson in manifestation too. Like you have to make space in your life for those new people that you want to call in. So that boundary has to be like, Mm. I'm not going to allow people in my life to treat me like this. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to keep being stuck in the same patterns, you know? So it's like, yes, you can read all the books, you can do the healing, you can do this and that, but you do have to have firm boundaries and you do have to tell other people what's going on with you and bring that change into the physical world. Because I know I went through a period where I was like journaling every single day and meditating every day. And I felt so much better about myself, but a lot of the patterns in my life were still the same Mm. because I wasn't like taking charge and I was hiding behind my journal a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where like that, that can be a form of bypassing too, like hiding behind your own inner work and then not bringing it into your life, right? your social situations. And making excuses for why you can't. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I can't talk to them about it because yada, yada, yada. (laughs) Yeah. You're projecting their reaction. Like you, you really don't know how they're going to respond. And that's the scary part. Like that's what people are terrified of, especially people pleasers, because all they know is pleasing people. Right. So what happens when you stop pleasing, you know, and that might be a point where, I mean, it could end up in an explosion, but often it's not as bad as we think it's going to be. Right. Yeah. It's often just like there's some resistance and they're like, okay, like right. it was just a joke, dude. Right. But like, it does make you feel icky, but it's not right. as bad as you're expecting. Right. And then you get through it and you're like, oh man, I can yeah. do this. But what happens is like our brain actually likes to, I read about this so many different times, like our brain likes to really exaggerate mm. horrible things that could happen to us because yeah. it's a way of keeping us safe. Yeah. So like if you feel really scared to talk to somebody or set a boundary, like I just went through this, I rewrote my entire coaching agreement and coaching mm. contract because I had a really crazy coaching client at one point who harassed me and all of this stuff and it was so crazy so I was like you know what I need to be more firm into like what I'm going to allow you know to happen in this relationship and I had to really set those boundaries in my contract and that was so hard for me to do so that was like a lesson that I recently learned and oh my gosh like it felt so crazy actually doing it but I felt so much better once it was over but our mind just like oh my gosh, it makes everything seem so huge and so scary and blows it out of proportion because we're like, wait, this is new. I feel Mm -hmm. kind of scared. I don't want that to happen. You know, it's just like a way that we protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. But usually the story that you make up in your mind never actually ends up happening, right? Yeah. And that's like, that's a part of our inner child. Like they are, they watched so many movies where like there's a lot of drama mm-hmm. and like maybe they've experienced chaotic dysfunctional households so then they expect life to react and respond in the same ways mm-hmm. so then our inner child's like nope we're not going to let that happen we're going to protect we're going to keep this safe by mm-hmm. making sure we're we're doing it in a way that's that's safe and secure and small right. we're going to we're, we're going to be really tiny right so that and i was so terrified to like write that us. contract because yeah. i was like but it's going to scare people away yeah. it's going to like people are going to read that and be like oh my god who does she think she is and then the more i looked mm-hmm. at the contract i was like any reasonable person would sign this contract you know so if anyone would be scared away by it 
that's actually a good right thing. People. Like, Let's thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, thank God they're just scared away. I don't want them working with yeah. me anyways, you know? So first you do have to set that boundary so you mm. can, you know, make sure that the people you don't want in your reality don't come into your reality and you can make way for better functioning, yeah. healthy relationships. Yeah. And that's a good point too with like, so, there are some people who just will not respect your boundaries. Right. Yeah. And that is a point where you have to reanalyze the relationship and ask yourself if you really want it in your life, mm-hmm. you know? And if it's a relationship you can't necessarily like quote unquote, like escape from right. like a family member or whatever, you can still keep the, the energy at a minimum, right? Yeah. Like how often you're visiting them or how often you're calling them or texting them and setting boundaries there instead of forcing yourself into those situations because you feel right. like you have to, right? Because you're obligated to, you're not obligated to do shit. Mm-hmm. You know, your energy is the most important thing, right? Because if you are not living in alignment with yourself, you are not going to be able to provide to other people. Right. Yeah. And mental emotional spiritual physical capacities right like they are all connected Mm -hmm. if there is a block in one place there's going to be a block in another place yes so if people are not setting boundaries with you reanalyze dude like you've got to reanalyze that and see if that's really a relationship that you want to continue pursuing right and i think that we also think like when it comes to boundary setting, like, oh, I just can't have this person in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. And it means like cutting someone out. Right. Mm-hmm. But it could be as simple as like not sharing certain aspects yeah. of your life with someone. Yeah. Like that was something I just had to learn in my family. You know, like yeah. I can't tell people like, Hey, I'm going to go here on vacation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to mm-hmm. whatever, because like they're going to project their fear and their scarcity onto me. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's not like, Oh, I just can't have my family in my life anymore. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be something so dramatic. Sometimes it's just like, you know what? I'm just not going to put myself in a situation mm-hmm. to open myself up to judgment or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Mm-hmm. So it's just being again, mindful and intentional of like how you are with that person. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you made that point because when you when you're starting to learn more about yourself, you start to understand the people around you a little bit better. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you start to understand your family in a whole yeah. new way. And you're like, oh, that's interesting how you're acting this way. And yeah. I bet it stems from this. Like, <laughs> yeah. you go you're all like psychoanalyzing in. them. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's it's helpful because then you're like, okay, there are certain connections that I can have with one member that I can't have with another member. Right. So like you might be able to go a little bit deeper with your sister but you can't go as deep with your father right and it sucks but like sometimes that's the way that you have to keep those relationships if those are the relationships that you want in your life right yeah so yeah like not opening yourself up to that judgment I like the way you put that like Mm -hmm. you are because we have this negativity bias a lot of people are unconscious to that negativity bias and they do project that onto you. Mm-hmm. When you become more conscious of your negativity bias, especially when you're, you start working with mindfulness and gratitude and things like that, and you're wanting to live more happier, but these people are constantly like bombarding you with why things aren't going to work out, why right. everything's going to go down the shithole. Yeah. Like you should not be sharing that part of yourself with them anymore. Right. Yeah. Because they're not going to be helping you move forward with your manifestation, move forward with your love, move forward with your light, whatever yeah. it is that you're trying to work on, because they are committed to misunderstanding you. Yes. 
Exactly. Ooh, I like that line. <laughs> Mic drop. Do we have another Pinterest quote? I think we do. Dude, I'm going to take <laughs> all of these quotes. I'm so excited. I, I, I realize I just need to repurpose a lot of content. You do. Like that's where I'm, I, I'm at a point where I have so much content that I created that I'm just going to like cycle through. Yeah. I have so many quotes. That repurposing is such a good idea. I used to think mm-hmm. that it was cheating, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's just your brand. Yeah. And people need you to repeat something a hundred times for the message to sink so in. So many people don't see it too. Yeah, <laughs> They don't exactly. see it until like the fifth time you've posted it. Yeah. I know. It's so true. As we're, as you're going through this work, you're going to feel so broken. Like you're going to feel so confused. You're going to feel so lost mm-hmm. because you're you're learning, you're exploring. And as you're getting curious, there's going to be a lot of different routes you're going to take and you're going to learn the hard way in some ways and then other ways are going to be easy. But it's really important that you find some type of support behind you and have a community that understands yeah and it's going to look a lot of different ways and the community might change like you might need one community one day and another community the next but finding those people who can understand and who are doing similar work that you are doing because Mm -hmm. it's really easy to feel like you're alone in this process in personal development and Mm self-growth and entrepreneur work whatever you're doing it's easy to feel alone so finding community is one of the most important things Mm -hmm. because we are human. We love to connect. We love to be understood and be seen. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's a lot of resources. There's resources on Facebook resources. There's therapy groups. Mm -hmm. So find, find what works for you. Find Mm -hmm. that community. Yeah. I love that. That's so true. Community has been so life-changing for me over Mm -hmm. the last year. I think I met you like like exactly a year ago. In October last yeah. year. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's so crazy. Oh, we have our one year anniversary. And since then I've had so much community and it really is life-changing. And it's okay yeah. if you don't have that community just yet, you know, yeah. you will find your community, but you have to set those boundaries with the people in your life now and then make sure that you're doing things mm-hmm. to call in a community of like-minded people in the future and not yeah. just saying like, well, I guess I'm just stuck. <laughs> yeah, they'll come. And like we were talking about earlier in the podcast, like they are going to come when you're ready. And if you choose that you're ready, like for a community that understands you, that means you have to set the boundaries first with the people who don't understand you. Right, yeah, exactly. Because it does make, sp- make space for the people who will understand you to come into your life. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Sierra. I'm so glad that I got to have you on the podcast. And where can people find you from now on if they would like to learn more about you, book a session, learn about the work that you're doing? So the best place to find me is over on Instagram at Sierra, C-I-E-R-R-A, Day, D-A-E. That's my middle name, so Mm -hmm. not D-A-Y. And then if you want to book a session with me, I have inner child connections uh, and visualizations. I'm also offering one-off coaching calls, uh, which are an hour long, and both of those things can be found on my website, Present Days, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-D-A-E-S.com. Perfect. And all of that will be in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. So if you want to go find that super easily, just go click on the show notes. Make sure you find Sierra on Instagram. Her Instagram is amazing. She shares Mm -hmm. so much about her journey and her story. And you are very 
vulnerable and mm. open and raw on Instagram. And we all need more people like that. You know, yeah. whenever I follow you on Instagram, it actually makes me feel good to follow your <laughs> account, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. My, my work is to transform the way we live. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm an open book. Yes. So everyone make sure you follow her on Instagram, give her mm. some love, book a inner child healing session or meditation. It's yeah. going to be amazing. Yeah. And feel free to DM me. I love connecting with people and talking to people. I think connection is the most important thing with this work. So right. reach out to me. Absolutely. Well, thank, thank you, you Sierra. Thank you for having me, Heather.